Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third uh, version of Work Now and in the Future. Uh, my name is Carrie Higgins Bigelow, and I am the founder of Living HR. We are the work agency, and for those that haven't heard about us, we're all about humanizing work uh, so that everyone can live into their potential at work. Um, I'm really excited. This event today is going to be all about what you can do uh, right now and for the future, which by the way, I think we're at the future, uh, to take some actions that will ultimately help the people in your workplace and help the business. Uh, we have an amazing panel today and I'm really excited to hear the conversation. This is a super casual event. It is a dialogue. You will hear us talk about a lot of really interesting components of what is happening to work. Uh, everything from commercial real estate to RPO, uh, to the gig economy, to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we're gonna try to cover off on a lot. So really excited to have everyone here today. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to chat them up. I'm going to hand it over to the amazing VP of Creative of Living HR, Amanda Herring, and ask our uh, panelists to hop on video, and we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, you'll also have the opportunity to be watching live art instead of slides, so this is the only slide that you'll see, and then uh, you'll see our panelists' amazing faces. So thanks so much for being here, and uh, Amanda, take it away. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you to our panelists for being here, too. And um, so I'm the Vice President of Creative at Living HR, and I'm really excited to host this incredible, incredible group of thought leaders uh, this afternoon who will talk all about work, making work work right now, and um, just opining on where we might be headed in the future. I know we cannot predict that right now or ever, but especially right now. So um, we'll, we'll give it our, our best shot to at least have a dialogue around it. So before we jump in, a few housekeeping items for everyone. Um, the benefit of a virtual event is flexibility. So we wanna encourage you to take breaks, stretch, let the dog out, whatever happens, happens. Let life creep in, it's totally fine here. This is a casual, open environment and um, we invite you to treat it that way. Um, on Zoom, as participants, we uh, aren't able to see your faces or hear you, but we can see your names and we can um, see your participation via chat and the Q&A feature in Zoom. So we encourage you to use that as we go and add your comments and questions in the chat, interact with each other, ask our panelists direct questions using the Q&A feature, which is right at the bottom of your screen. Um, and we'll revisit those at the end of each panel. For um, the majority of the event, we'll feature real-time virtual illustration of your words here today. So um, our friends at the drawing booth um, are going to be joining us and doing a really great, amazing illustration as we go. So we'll share this final piece with you after the event. And um, you should be able to see panelists as they speak, either at the top or to the side of your screen, too. So. Um, the most important thing I wanted to cover was that this event uh, features an open dialogue and honest discussion and is a place of respectful exchanges. So anything outside of that, um, this is not the place for it and it won't be tolerated. So um, just note that we're, we're actively cultivating an open space here and um, please be kind to one another. 
um, please raise your hand and your voice. We definitely want inputs and opinions from um, attendees. And um, we're all just here with a willingness to learn. And that's what this is all about. So um, we're going to talk about uh, how in the world we handle the world of work right now, like I said. And so two of our friends who will introduce themselves right after this, Jared with Living HR and Cynthia with Trinet, uh, will be your moderators today. But before they hop in, I want to remind everyone of our agenda. So we'll have two panels today. The first conversation will focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, talent, talent brand, and um, finding your brand stand as an organization. And we'll talk about uh, what that means. But um, in that first conversation, we have Anna Brown, and uh, she is the Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion at Baker McKinsey. We have John Wilson, the CEO of Wilson HCG, Ilya Brodsky, the founder and CCO of, or, sorry, CEO of Van Hack, and Ashley Moore, founder and CEO of AM Public Relations. And then in our second panel, uh, we will be having a conversation and discussing how we design work for a more flexible future. That's one thing we can probably be sure of. Um, so we'll talk about remote, gig, space, and leveraging tech. And in that conversation, um, we'll have Katie Evans-Reber, sorry, that's my dog, uh, Vice President of People and Culture at Winolo. Uh, we'll have Ben Eubanks, Principal Analyst at Lighthouse Research and Advisory. Uh, we'll have Scott Garlick, Managing Principal at Cushman Wakefield, and Robert Kropp, the co-founder of Syncaroo. So... Um, please be kind, please be interactive. It's tough as a panelist to speak into the internet and get nothing in return. It's weird, it's different. So please interact um, and show them some love as we go. And I will hand it back to you, Jared and Cynthia, to kick us off. Hi everyone, my name is Cynthia Cancio Perez and I've been in the work of world and people leadership for 15 years, probably more, but I don't wanna age myself. And uh, most recently I am working with Trinet as Amanda shared um, as a director of talent acquisition. Uh, I've been friends with uh, the Living HR team for years now and I was honored to be part of the discussion with this awesome panelist. So um, can't wait to dive into the discussion. And before we do, I'll kick it over to my co-host, Jared, to introduce himself. Thank you, Cynthia. My name is Jared Fitzpatrick. I am a new member of the Living HR team, but very excited to be here with you today. Um, my background is in diversity and inclusion culture and equity work as well. I also spent a number of years in management consulting. And so I'm extremely excited about the panelists that we have because just based off the titles alone, there are some really strong people I think that we're going to hear from today. But I don't think that the titles often tell the whole story. And so what I would love to do is to ask each panelist if they would just share a little bit about your personal story, why you do this work, because the reason is different for each one of us. Tell us about your company. And also, I think the, the topics that we're going through are very deep. And so I'd like to just hear a, a few words from you about what these, these topics mean to you personally. Uh, and we can start with John Wilson, if you'd be willing to come off mute and just share a little bit about yourself to start. Sure, uh, thank you, Jared. Um, yeah, so I uh, started this company 17 years ago, and I think all of it, kind of your motivations change uh, as time goes on and uh, the company evolves and 
Uh, and I think now a lot of it is based on is seeing others succeed around you, um, whether that is uh, personally or professionally. But um, that's, that's really the biggest motivator for me right now is uh, making impact with our clients and, and making an impact with our people and, and watching both of them grow. Awesome. Thank you, John. Uh, next, let's have Ashley. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ashley Moore. I started AM Public Relations almost a few years ago. Uh, we're based in the Orlando area, but we service clients mostly in business services, technology, and healthcare uh, all around the world. Um, you know, small and mighty team, but we do a lot of work in media relations and content creation and content marketing. Um, and my passion is in the healthcare space in particular. I do a lot of B2B work. And so um, it's a lot of impactful companies and clients who are doing really interesting and impressive things. Um, and so I love helping them cultivate their story and figure out how they can develop a unique voice. Um, obviously, from a PR perspective, we are ourselves as a company and all of the clients are, you know, looking at, at ourselves and at each other and, and figuring out, you know, are we saying the right things and have we been saying the right things? So um, it's been a very interesting and eye-opening time for working in public relations. Awesome, thank you. Uh, so next, if we could have Anna. Hi, uh, thanks so much. So um, Anna Brown, the uh, Director of uh, Global Diversity and Inclusion at, um, at Baker McKinsey, and I've been here for almost four years. I'm um, actually a recovering lawyer and uh, before that, a recovering critical care nurse. Uh, so I've uh, <laughs> been in a couple of, uh, uh, I'm recovering from a, a number of things, but actually very excited with the work that I'm doing now. Um, as you can imagine, uh, 10 years ago, this was not a topic that was being as widely discussed as it is, is today. So it's uh, very dynamic and, and I think part of uh, many different discussions and narratives. So happy to be part of this conversation. Uh, Baker McKenzie is a global law firm and uh, you know, this is part of the, the DNA of our organization and I do this work uh, around the world. So thanks. Love it, love it. Uh, and last but not least, Ilya. Thanks, Jared. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ilya. I'm the CEO and co-founder of VanHack. Uh, at VanHack, we help tech talent get jobs abroad, um, helping them relocate and immigrate to different countries. So for us, building diverse teams is really what we do all the time and something we're really passionate about. Most of the people on our team are immigrants. I myself moved, uh, immigrated when I was five. Uh, and it's just something we, we think that can add a lot of value to, to different communities around the world. Um, so I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Love it, love it. Okay. So now that you've introduced yourselves and the audience has had a chance to hear a little bit about your story, I'd love it if we could dive into the topic at hand. So we know that work now is going to be changing. And I think Carrie actually hit the nail on the head when she said the future is already here. So when we talk about work in the future, it's really planning now for what we want work to look like really in the next few months. 
Um, and so I'd love to hear your perspectives and, and anyone can feel free to take the first uh, pass at this, just on what the future of diversity, equity and inclusion looks like um, related to talent now and in the future. I can start. So I think it's not for, especially for a services-based business like myself, uh, it's been interesting not only for the talent that I bring on um, and, and important that we're looking at ourselves and opening up those conversations, but looking at the companies we engage with, the clients that we take on, looking at their businesses with a, you know, a different eye, um, looking to work with di di diverse businesses and, and businesses that not only support diversity and inclusion, but also, um, you know, have leadership, diverse leadership, and, um, you know, just making sure our own client base is representative of what we want our company to be as well. So um, that's been an interesting place for me from a services business where I really control who we work with um, and, and making sure that we are bringing that into the scope of how we consider working with someone or not. I'm also happy to, to chime in on that, uh, Jared, and uh, agree with uh, Ashley. Um, I actually think that um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they are three different you know, things. Um, uh, and together, having that kind of comprehensive um, workforce is going to be key to business sustainability in the future. And we know that uh, you know, looking in terms of uh, having innovation and creativity, that um, we're going to need a workforce that is diverse, um, that where there is equity and where there is inclusion, um, so that we can meet these new challenges of the workforce um, in the future. And you know, we don't know where the next great idea is going to come from, or you know who it's going to come from, or what geography and uh, age group, and ethnicity. And so it's very important, I think, to be able to to have a workforce that is able to leverage the, you know, the benefits of different experiences and, and to be able to work together. I have two dogs, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, and and uh, to be able to, um, uh, so, and that this is gonna be critical you know, in terms of business sustainability of the future. I know it's certainly one of the things that uh, the UN um, sustainability looks at you know, when looking at what what will businesses need to be successful in the future? And I think this will be a, a key aspect of that. Did anybody else want to weigh in on that one? Sure, I, I, I think a big thing that's missed in a lot of the um, strategy that we're hearing from not only our clients, but even in the media around this is uh, you know, companies coming out saying they're committed to hiring X. And I think the, um, the thing they need to do first is look inside. Um, because you have a, uh, as you talked about inclusion, if it is a, if it, if it is not that type of a place to be or work, you can hire people all day, whether they're going to stay, flourish, grow. Um, that's a completely different story. So, um, you're really looking internally at the people you have and how they're feeling and what's important to them, uh, I think it has to, has to happen first. And John, that's an excellent segue um, to a question that I had as you all were brainstorming on that was, 
what internal conversations are each of you having with your current workforce around this brand stand? Or in some cases, you might be very early in your journey because now it's the tipping point to take a stand. So how are you trying to figure out your footing? Can jump in here. Um, for, for us, it's been something that's kind of from the beginning, uh, almost by accident that we've been doing. Uh, my co-founder uh, is, is a woman and uh, from a from, you know, diverse background than me. And then from there, it just kind of started naturally. So it was almost you know five years ago, something that we, we started out with and we've been fortunate to have a, a, a big kind of diverse blend in our team. Um, and we've seen that really, really help with, with our, our work and, and kind of the, the way that we go through things. Uh, but still, we, we you know, constantly are trying to improve, um, looking at different ways we can volunteer. Um, it's, it's actually been hard. That, that piece has actually been the hardest because how do you volunteer virtually? Um, so we're looking at things like online education uh, group uh, for projects where we can do online mentorship. Um, but that, that's something that we've, we're looking into. We're, we're planning on doing uh, this month, but uh, it's been a challenge um, because of COVID actually. One of the things that, uh, that we talk about at, at Baker McKenzie is how do we embed this? You know, it's, so it's part of our culture and not an add-on. And I think um, you know, kind of taking it so it's not a silo and making it part of everything that you do. So it's, you know, it's part of your talent. It's part of you know, your finance. It's part of your IT. Uh, it's part of your onboarding. And it's part of all of your conversations. And it's not just what you say. It's what you do and how you're role modeling. And um, uh, you know, it's you know, to be thoughtful and strategic and comprehensive so that um, it's what John said, you know, you creating a diverse workforce is very different than an, uh, creating an inclusive culture. Um, and so bringing in people with, you know, different race, ethnicity experiences, and, you know, all the rich diversity that we have, but then not being able to leverage that so that we benefit from that where people feel they can be their best and do their best and, you know, kind of bring their authentic selves and realize that when we talk about inclusion, we are talking about everyone and not just particular groups, um, that that's really, I think, how you change a culture in terms of where people feel it's a dynamic and you, know, you can create and, and, and it's exciting to be there. And I think you know, most people want to be in an environment where it feels exciting to be there and your work is respected and you feel valued, right? So it's all exciting to, to be able to do that, but embedding it in everything. And so some of these structures, um, it's, it's going to be quite difficult. Um, we have a new center in, in, in Tampa, and uh, we have a wonderful executive director there, Jamie Lawless, and I, I know she's, she's worked with uh, some people here. And she was just amazing because she made it part of the foundation when we opened that center. You know, it was always part of the strategy. It was always part of the matrix and the fabric. And, and she's really built on that. And it's an amazing, you know, diverse and inclusive team. In, in Tampa, as, as well as other places too, but uh, I wanted to mention that because it's in Tampa, and, uh, and I know people uh, um, part of this conversation have been part of that effort, so we're grateful. You know, I I work with a lot of small uh, businesses and sometimes startups, some larger ones too, and that's it's almost like. It's not a different conversation, but I think sometimes for, and even for us being sm small, like we're a team of five, five people. So 
you know, I think that the bringing up the idea, I think John brought it up of um, education, educational opportunities and, you know, making, I, I'm it, not just in terms of bringing in diverse team members or being inclusive, like that can be, can be more manageable when you have such a small team. So if you don't feel like you know exactly where to go with changing your hiring or, you know, diversifying your team, there are a lot of educational opportunities just for you to make sure you're leading the way on your team and everybody to be bettering themselves as humans. Um, and so I think that that is a really important message for small businesses um, and boutique businesses who don't maybe necessarily face such daunting day-to-day -day diversity, inclusion, and um, you know, equity challenges. Um, so I think that that was a really, really great point and just something I want to hone in on because we are a really small business. And so for us, it has been looking at, you know, who we personally are as a small team of five, how we all work together, who we're working with as partners, and how do we learn from others more, educate ourselves better, and grow. Thank you for all of that. And Carrie had posed a question in the chat that I wanted to touch on, which was, what actions are each of your organizations taking to embed diversity, equity, and inclusion in everything to Anna's point? And, and something that I wanted to kick off with is uh, here at Trinet, what we did is we took a look, like John said, inward first to understand what's our pulse check on what we're doing right now. And what we found is we had an opportunity to bring our um, TA and HR ops teams together and have a conversation that was led by an external consultant around our unconscious bias um, without making it super focused on, you know, what was going on in the external world, but making it more of a professional development conversation. And that's how we were able to introspectively, you know, check ourselves because we're ultimately, especially in the TA space, the gatekeepers, right, of anyone coming in. And so are we being inclusive of the audience, even considering us, or are we putting out a perception that, you know, if you're not XYZ, keep moving, you know? So it was a really great and powerful conversation that started to kind of kick off the series of, you know, the work that lies ahead of us on where we've come, but where we want to be um, on the journey together. So uh, based off of the original question, uh, where are you all at with that? Or if you're advising clients, you know, what's kind of the common theme you're finding? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I think there is a, um, you're either an inclusive culture or you're not. Um, and when you are a startup and you start, those things, at least they weren't for me. Um, it never even crossed my mind because I wanted to hire the best people that did the best work because we needed that. And um, so happened that we built a very diverse culture uh, organically. Um, and, but it, it was always a, just a, a no tolerance ever, uh, even thought of that we would have to, um, you know, have somebody internally that didn't think that same way. Um, and I think that's, as we've grown globally, that's how it has been, but you're either are, or you aren't, it's not a, it's not a halfway. Um, and so if you're not the people who are preventing that from happening, you have to get them out. Um, there's nothing that can be swept under the rug. 
uh, or, oh, they're a really good performer, but they did X or Y, or you know, the data shows they have to go. Um, that is, that's the only way you can really build that culture is a zero acceptance for any of this. It just has to be an inclusive place for everybody. I agree with that, John. I, um, and I also think that uh, it's going to be different for every organization in terms of it being bespoke. So, um, you know, Baker McKenzie has 77 offices in 46 countries. It's a very large organization. Um, and so that might be very different than um, for a startup. But at the end of the day, it is about, you know, having a culture that's, that's inclusive and making everyone accountable for that. Uh, so it could be different for us. We, you know, have to build a strategy and we uh, set goals and then you know, hold ourselves accountable um, to those goals, you know, identifying, you know, to working with our leadership um, so that it's not just one, you know, certainly not just for me, right, as the director of diversity, but for everyone you know, to kind of make it part of their responsibility and kind of weaving it into um, feedback and uh, you know, how we recruit um, our retention efforts, our education um, and training and programming um, efforts. And so that it is, you know, at every level and that we define and set metrics. Um, so that's you know, how we do it. And I think that that would obviously be different for, for each organization because you have to do what, you know, makes sense for your structure and your organization. But um, at the end of the day, making sure that everyone is you know, kind of on board with, um, with being part of uh, the inclusion and whatever that may entail. Uh, I think is what's so key. I, I will, I'll speak a little bit to client conversations in terms of there's definitely a, at the, you know, a month ago, there was a lot of like, what, what do I need to post? Like there's this like a rush to, put something out there that joined the conversation. There was, you know, they were, their companies felt pressure, um, large and small. And the dynamic with that pressure, I think changes a lot dependent on who you are and who you serve. And, you know, some, I had some clients who didn't feel it so heavily. And then I had others that do. And it's like, should we immediately post this, um, you know, Instagram image that's popular and going around? Like, is that what we should be doing? And, you know, I, I think that I have, I don't know, I, you know, for my clients, I feel like some of that converse, that immediate like rush to outwardly look like you are doing something immediately has, has um, somewhat died down a little bit, at least in the conversations with my clients and who I talk to. But, you know, I think it was a really important time to encourage people to pause and be more reflective and think about how they can truly post something impactful. I mean, if they wanted to post something that they liked, that's fine. But there were conversations about, you know, should they be asking others to share it? And it's like, that's not what this is about. So, um, you know, I think that it's been a very important time for companies to think about how they, you know, authentically present themselves in this conversation. If, you know, it gets to a point where they need to be publicly displaying. Because I'm, I'm, I'm working with people who are like discussing if they should take a certain story about diversity to the media and things like that. So, but 
you know, is this surface level? Have we really developed this? Is this some rush because you're feeling pressure? Um, you know, let's take a step back and, and really figure out, you know, what you are, what you are doing internally, what you really have the resources to be doing. It's once you put this out there and promise this, then you've got to deliver on it. And so um, we had a lot of conversations, especially from startups, where it was like, should we do this? We're going to rush over here and we're going to do this. And there just didn't feel like a lot of, it wasn't out of, it wasn't out of malice or, you know, it wasn't them trying to not handle it correctly. They just felt a lot of pressure that they almost couldn't sit, take a second and sit down and think through. So we had a lot of those conversations over the last couple of months. I think one thing you said, Ashley, is uh, authenticity. Um, I don't think, uh, use Baker McKenzie as an example, um, but uh, there are plenty of posts and conversations occurring about diversity at Baker McKenzie specifically way before it was, uh, I, I'm sure they didn't have to go to comms to say, can we do this or should we do this because it was part of their culture and the way that it, it was and that, that authenticity shines through when you see an organization that you may question um, versus one that you know is committed to it. Yeah. Just one thing to also jump in here. Um, similar experience for me when talking to our customers, we work with companies that are hiring senior software engineers and um, they a lot of times stereotype and they, they ask me a lot of these times, hey, wh where are the best developers in the world from? Like wh where, which population, which country? And I always always give the same answer of, of, you know, code has no accent and you, it doesn't, it's not like there's one country where there's better developers. Um, there's great tech talents everywhere. Um, and I, I often deal with, you know, ne negative uh, stereotypes that people come from certain countries. And I, that's one thing that we're doing to kind of keep our customers accountable and tell them, Hey, you know, it doesn't matter what, what language the person speaks. Uh, it's, it's English, Spanish, but Portuguese, Japanese, they can speak JavaScript, you know, they can do the work. Um, so that's something that we've seen um, kind of a very straightforward, uh, yeah, thanks Angie, um, uh, aspect of, of, of giving people this feedback and you'd be surprised how many times I still get that question. Um, it's, it's still very prevalent. So we, we try and educate the, um, you know, showing case studies and, and things like that of the people from around the world having success. I'm kind of wondering, um, is it what you said is kind of interesting to me because some of the things that I see is that um, kind of this changing conversation with regard to generations so that as we, you know, I think millennial generations kind of redefined work a little bit uh, in terms of having it is more meaningful um, and looking, you know, at this in a different way than I think you know, the generation before um, looked at this and that it really is a, an important part of decision-making um, in terms of where you're selecting, where, where you want to work and, and the culture is, is important and realizing that, you know, these, this time that you, a lot of time you're spending with people and, and wanting to be in environments where, uh, you know, you feel that uh, uh, this, is, this is important. Initially, you know, when I was uh, a young lawyer, uh, it was like, well, you know, maybe minorities were thinking about diversity, but I, I think that has changed considerably where lots of people are thinking about what do these environments look like? You know, what is it going to, is it going to feel meaningful to, to be there? I don't know if that's the experience others are having. Um, I, I, very quickly, yes. Um, I, 
I guess I'm maybe a stereotype here where uh, I quit my job two years after work. I was working on a mining company because I wasn't happy um, making a good salary, et cetera, but decided to quit my job and, and move to South America to volunteer at a nonprofit in, in the slums of Rio. So it's like that, that, that's, that's something that's very um, dear to my heart and, and, and everything I'm working out. My, my parents didn't, you know, freaked out a bit, but it worked out. And, and I think that that happens a lot, right. With, uh, people, young people, we have, maybe, maybe we're lucky. I think, I think, I think maybe we have the safety net of there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of jobs, um, maybe compared to how it was uh, before. Cause, uh, uh, and also the fact that we, the, 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 the online work with the decoupling of location and, and job also allows that. So I don't have to just look for a job in my own city. I can look for a job across the country or across the world, uh, which gives me more opportunities. Not, not all jobs, but many jobs are like that. So I think it's, it's not, not everyone can do it, but maybe this generation for the first time has a little bit more options and we can be, uh, be afford to um, have, have that luxury of um, looking for something that, 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 you know, we're really, really truly passionate of and not settling for it. Um, whereas others may be, uh, I think also having kids earlier, like I know my parents had kids, uh, had me when I was, uh, oh, sorry, when they were in their early 20s and uh, I'm going to have kids now in my early 30s. So it's that, that gap also allows you to um, be more flexible in your 20s and, and not have to you know, pay the mortgage and, and pay, uh, you know, take care of your family so you can take more risks. Um, so I, I think it's, it's not something that everyone can do, um, but maybe now more than ever, more people can do it than, than before. You bring up something interesting about the, the generational uh, shift in the workforce that, you know, even just from working a lot in tech, I mean, we have seen time and time again that if you are not truly doing something within your organization, people will blow it up. I mean, people will talk about it. People, it will come out. So uh, especially in the, the tech startup world, you know, you hear these stories of, of all kinds of issues, not just diversity um, or inclusion issues, but, um, and now there's so many books about it in the, t in the tech world, but, you know, companies just, there is no safety now with the generation in the workforce of like, I work here for my entire career. I'm going to let things go. I'm not going to speak up like it is a it is a different workforce that is not going to continue to let these things happen. Uh, you know, sexual harassment, all of the all of the various topics that have been coming up and have been um, drawn attention to more recently. Um, and that's never that's not going to change. This is only the continued momentum of companies no longer getting away with um, not doing what they should be doing. And I think that that is largely because of the generational sh generational shift in the workforce. Um, agree. I agree too. The transparency and you know, the accountability for that is is so um, uh, very very much more so much more prevalent and very clear. So I want to ask a question. I've heard a few of you, uh, really all of you, talk about the fact that you need to be authentic that this next generation is going to demand transparency and accountability when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And you have to look inward before you start putting out messaging. But thinking about the fact that there are a lot of companies who did put out messaging over the last four to six weeks and now are going to have to hold themselves accountable for doing the things they said they're going to do. Um, what 
are you doing, and this is more of the practical application, what policies, processes are you implementing to make sure that you are holding yourselves accountable for continuing to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion? So I know it may have started organically, but usually has to have some, somebody pushing it and, and watching it in order for it to stay that way. So what are you all doing? I'm happy to start off. Uh, certainly, we also had a statement after the, um, in connection with the, uh, the murder of uh, George Floyd and um, uh, looking at you know, the, the insidious and, and horrendous impact of, of racism uh, and that conversation that it has sparked globally. And uh, since then, we've, we've done a number of things. Um, one is we had already been doing that work uh, for a while. And so we had a focus on you know, race, race and ethnicity and uh, had done a number of uh, uh, different initiatives. But uh, we have established a global task force on race and ethnicity, um, also one in North America, specifically on anti-racism. Um, and uh, in our North America offices, the time that people spend uh, in a law firm, right, time is, is very important. And uh, the time that they spend on doing diversity and inclusion work is um, uh, they can get credit for that. Um, you know, it's valued time, the same as is working for Client Matter. That was uh, incredibly important. Um, and so they now have up to 125 hours. We we had an entire listening and learning with you know town halls and conversations and hearing from our colleagues so, so much of this is you know, you're sitting next to someone you have no idea that their experience is so different than yours and it was so helpful to be able to share that so that it wasn't you know some person you didn't know in some place that you may never have been but it's within your own organization, your own office, you know, your own hallway when, when we used to all be there. <laughs> um, and so that, that was extremely powerful. Um, and moving towards looking at our education programming, but the real hard work uh, in a lot of the organizations is deconstructing where the biases exist. So, you know, how do people get work? How do relationships happen? How does mentoring happen? How does sponsorship happen? So, um, you know, kind of digging into that, uh, we had, again, already started doing a lot of work around mentorship and sponsorship and, and such, and making everybody part of the discussion and having it as an ongoing discussion, not a one and done, um, uh, you know, so that it's something that's continually happening. And one of the reasons that I, I never, ever thought I'd be a diversity professional, and quite frankly, when I became a lawyer, such a term didn't even exist. And so what really happened is that uh, where, you know, as a lawyer, working on these things on a part-time basis, what realized is that things, you know, you, you never made progress, right? And so things that are important um, uh, and as a, as a profession in law, uh, certainly equality and equity are you know, kind of pillars of, of that profession. And so the way I think that diversity and inclusion um, came into being is so that you could have this constant focus on that instead of kind of you know, doing multiple things and working on a, on a part-time basis. And so, and, and it has evolved, I think, from, you know, now a lot of people are focused on the inclusion and belonging and engagement. Uh, so it, it continues uh, to grow. But those are some of the things that, that we've done. And 
certainly would like to hear of others. And again, I think it's so each organization does what's right for them, right? You're not, everyone's on a different place, a different journey. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, yeah, Jared, I would advise most companies to stay away from policies and procedures and things you write out. I mean, I don't know how many people who are on this call have read their company's employee handbook in the last six months. Um, I think it's about communicating, educating, accountability, and, and then that will, that turns organizations into being authentic about inclusion. And uh, you, you uh, as Anna mentioned, I mean, everybody on this call saw someone get killed on TV. And it was, if that was an eye opening for everybody enough, um, those people in the organization that are, uh, a policy procedure isn't going to do it. it. It's changing culture inside organizations. Um, it, 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 it's not something written down. If I could just follow up on that, John, I think that you make an excellent point. And, you know, part of the point is that you're the CEO of your company and it's leadership. You know, it's hearing from you, right? The CEOs, the leaders who are saying this is important because you're setting uh, the example and the role modeling. And I think that's incredibly important. Um, you know, people, it's like less of what you say and a whole lot of what you do, right? So I think seeing that and hearing from leaders is so important. Um, Ashley, did you want to go ahead, or I don't want to, okay. You go ahead. Okay, go okay. Uh, sometimes hard to know with uh, these things. Yeah. Um, so the one, one thing we're doing kind of practically um, is uh, it's going to be it's, this month, July is our 50 year anniversary. Um, so instead of doing a, usually we do a promotion where we have like a sale on our product for, for a few weeks. Uh, this month or this year, we decided to do something a little bit different because of uh, the current situation and just maybe a little bit more of a maturity in our organization uh, we decided to um, do, do that as I mentioned that volunteer work where we're going to be uh, mentoring young um, diverse yeah, people uh, from students who are interested in technology um, in, in Latin America where most of the talent that we recruit from is so that's one thing that we kind of want to do as a company to bring us together and understand just to bring that as a focal point it's not I wouldn't think a full uh, full solution. I don't think we were there yet, but it, that's one practical thing that we uh, have decided to do. Um, and I think we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes, but I think we'll help everyone in the company have uh, the diverse mindset um, that, that we need to be successful. Yeah, I love the I love the volunteering. So as I said, we're a small team, so you know I definitely feel the responsibility to make sure that the you know, there's not a task force I can create or um, anything like that. So, so it's, it's on me or my, my VP, my right hand. And so, um, you know, that's something that we've been discussing a lot. I really like the idea of the volunteer days, um, you know, and again, for us, what we've talked most about at this point, and again, this also isn't a full solution, um, but we've talked about, you know, maybe where can we bring on clients, um, where can we offer services, um, you know, pro, pro bono or free consultations or, or things like that and just open up um, our expertise because our time is definitely something that we can be giving more of right off the bat. So um, that's an area that we've been talking about holding ourselves more accountable to. Ashley, 
I'm curious to hear from Anna and Ashley and John um, and Elia that what do you think the talent is really looking for in making a decision about whether or not they want to look at your employer or a employer in deciding about talent brand? I mean, I think to your point about generations, Anna, that and Ashley, that it, it really is, uh, it has changed, like what they want and what they're expecting. What is that uh, that you think they're looking for? I'm happy to start. <laughs> um, so I think people, you know, particularly in, in my, the industry that I'm in, um, but maybe even more broadly, are looking to um, do good work um, that's interesting and challenging, um, to get good feedback um, with regard, you know, to that work and to feel that their contributions are, are valued um, and to be somewhere where they feel they can be their authentic selves. Um, and, uh, you know, where they are making a, a contribution. And so that, you know, can be how that happens could, could be in different places. But, uh, you know, honestly, I, I, I see that as being a very successful formula where, you know, people want to, they, I, most people want to do the work, you know, that they're excited to do that and, and to feel that it's appreciated and, you know, that they are getting some, some development and, uh, being uh, engaged with their with their colleagues. Awesome. So here, you didn't call on me, but I'm going to chime in anyway. Um, <laughs> um, uh, piggybacking off of what everything Anna said, which is spot on, um, a, a couple of additional points uh, I would like to add in is just having a human conversation with anybody that's like your direct report and just asking, how are you? I mean, that simple question can unlock a lot of what someone's going through. You know, there's someone on my team, for example, today that on the surface, you would think, oh, you're not really impacted by what's going on, right? You don't really fit the mold, but you unpack it a little bit. And, you know, she had her spouse that died in the line of duty and is not a bad cop, you know? And, and she had a whole different perspective on what was going on in the world when um, everything was happening, came to a head with the George Floyd situation. And so just asking and not assuming, I think goes a long way. Taking it back to your original question, Carrie, about what is the talent looking for? Um, they're all curious on, I would say, the top three things in addition to what Anna's already said, which was how have we responded to COVID? What, uh, what has our company done to pivot and adjust to this new world that we're living in that doesn't seem like it's going to go away anytime soon? And how do we feel about family life now starting to blend in and not be separate in the traditional world. Um, I mean, earlier when we were doing mic check, my kid came in and wanted to say hi, you know, and are we that company or is your company that company that's going to embrace that and be okay with it? Because you trust the talent that you hired to execute on the work that you agreed upon. Trust is a big word there. You know, I think that we all as humans, whether we were working or not, you know, it's the foundation of a relationship. So I think that that's a great point, Cece. Yeah, trust is what I was going to chime in on. You know, uh, even someone who is fresh in the industry, I think that they just want to be trusted and they want their opinion to matter. Um, you know, at least in the agency world, it's kind of notorious for a, like, there's the bottom rung, you come in, you 
work really hard, like you you have a very defined role that's kind of minimized and not appreciated as much as it should be. That's at least sort of how agencies and PR and advertising and marketing are, have been sort of built traditionally, not all of them, but, um, and so, you know, there's kind of a babysitting gig for the uh, managers and, and it's one of the reasons I ended up leaving and starting my own company was because I just didn't want to babysit anymore. Um, and so, I, I really look to hire people and my team, you know, even to the most junior person is I feel like I can trust them. I can trust them to do their job. Um, you know, we implemented remote work and I know that's a whole nother conversation in a panel coming up, but that was always a situation for us from the get go for multiple reasons. But um, they just, they want to feel like they have a seat at the table where appropriate and um, you know, feel, feel trusted that they're going to do good work. Don, Ilya, any final thoughts? Um, I think growth opportunities, uh, learning opportunities are, are really important. Um, if you show people that there's a path that they can take and that'll lead them to XYZ place that they want to get to, uh, I think that that's really, really important. Um, to, to Ashley's point, people don't want to be kind of in this uh, paying their dues as much, or at least they want to know that paying their dues is worth it and what those dues will get them. Um, and they give you make that really clear, and that'll really help with time attraction. Uh, and I think as, as things keep progress in our all of our new normal, um, life and work are going to be bleeding together a lot more than they ever have. And so you're, you're going to see a lot more of people's lives that are your coworkers that you may not have known before. Um, so it goes back to what's important to people in their lives uh, personally. We talked about trust, um, acceptance, um, growth, education. Uh, if you, just as an individual, think about what's important to somebody um, that's now bleeding so heavily into work um, and especially with the work anywhere aspect that I think we're, we're all headed to. I think we are going to pause here and move over into our Q&A portion. And we have some great questions already from the audience. I was waiting because these questions are really good. So I hope you guys are prepared. Um, the first question is, a few of you talked about the fact that as a startup, you have a very unique opportunity to build inclusion from the start. And, you know, Ilya, uh, you talked about how you built it organically without even really thinking about it. But when you think about larger organizations where there's tons of layers and very different styles of management uh, and background, how do you continue to build um, diverse and inclusive environments when there may be disparity between what those things mean and what inclusive behaviors really look like. <laughs> I see shocked faces. So <laughs> that seems like one for, for a professional, maybe Anna. <laughs> <laughs> he did say startups, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I didn't know if Don wanted to, to, uh, to say something well, I, about that. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I, I think that 
that goes back to just, you know, we're all human beings and like, what is acceptance and inclusion for you as a, as a person? Um, and, and I think sometimes we over label things um, versus understanding that, you know, at, at the end of the day, everybody has this, a lot of similarities um, and being able to celebrate uh, differences and making that part of the culture, the celebration of differences. Um, it, you know, regardless if you're a big company or a small company, um, but, but not making anything taboo uh, where we, we, oh, we can't talk about this. Um, just the, the open dialogue uh, and, and, and communication, that, which in most organizations becomes a bedrock for trust. And once that's built, uh, people open up and uh, they feel safer. You know, I, the, the point about manage, management styles, too, is, I mean, I think that there obviously can be a span or a range in management styles that you have in your managers, but you also, I think, should be hiring for a certain spectrum of management styles. I mean, that's also something that you're going to look for while there's some differences there. There should be some continuity. All of those managers have to work together. Um, so... And I don't mean differences in their opinions on diversity and inclusion necessarily, but I just mean in terms of how they, you know, run their run their team. Um, obviously, there'll be some some differences, but if there are there are going to be core values that you've established that influence how someone manages your people, and so you should be making sure that a manager, you know. It's, their primary job is to make sure that they can hold hold all of those, and that that's not something that's differing between all of them. Yeah, I you know so much of this when we go back to you know talking about trust and um, in order to get there, and one of my favorite people is Brene Brown, and you know the work that you're doing has to be done around vulnerability, um, you know, in order to get to to trust, and so it really these are about establishing relationships, and it's work. Now it really is work to to establish relationships, and it's talking to people and understanding. You know, there's you know, the the difference between what you intended and how someone uh, what the impact may be. Um, you know what you intended and how others may have perceived that, and and so a lot of that I think happens through establishing these these trust relationships. But you kind of have to expose some of who you are, um, and. Uh, you may make some mistakes um, along the way as well, but all of that I think is uh, kind of being vulnerable to and open to conversation and to change and to pivot um, so that you are getting to the right place. I love that, Anna, the, the humanizing, the, the work um, persona, right? I always, I felt early in my career personally that I had to be, you know, Cynthia at work and Cindy not at work. And, you know, now my worlds have kind of collided where I have no choice. I have to be me now. So um, thank you for that. And another question that we had was um, someone's curious about that they have spoken with so many colleagues recently who work at companies that don't focus on diversity and inclusion. So how can someone appropriately coach up to stress the importance of topics and ask for more action around this? Um, that's something actually one of my, my teammates did with me um, in our one-on-one. He brought, the, brought up the topic and um, I think that's kind of one sim simple way you just bring it up. Don't be shy to bring it up. Um, I, I think a lot of people may be intimidated uh, telling 
uh, you know, the, the, the boss or someone, you know, someone above them that uh, this might be important and that they might be something negative will happen. And I, I think that that's something that they shouldn't, they shouldn't have. So just, just bring it up. Um, and then also show, uh, bring ways that companies can do it. Um, I think, I think a lot of times uh, what the, the business is looking at is how, what, what will this actually work? Will this actually help us? And if you can show proof of, of, of things that have worked for other companies and things that maybe are not so difficult to start, I think as well, people get worried about, hey, this is gonna take up a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of money, can we afford to do this, et cetera. Well, um, uh, I think if you show something that's maybe a crawl 